0: I am all for paying to market to new customers, but I'll never be able to wrap my mind around paying for our own diners. Why should we have to pay cover fees? It's like getting penalized for being busy. That's why I'm a huge fan of Yelp Guest Manager. It's a reservation and waitlist system connected to a diner network nine times larger than open table, and they never charge cover fees. Learn about their new $99 per month plan for newly opened restaurants at restaurants.yelp.com forward slash podcast, or call 877-571-9357 and tell them full comp sent you. Now here we
1: go. I think there are too many opportunities out there to forget that it's really about delicious food delivered with a smile and a great clean environment. I think there's so many quick rushes to revenue and people are forgetting just some of the basics. So it's not a business that's going to be a get rich quick whatsoever. And I believe in making real commitments to a community and to people. That means playing the long game.
0: Welcome to Full Comp. A show offering insight into the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders and innovators, served up on the house. What do you think when you hear the name Lowry's? For many, it's the name of the steak seasoning located in their neighborhood grocery. And for others, it represents a prolific restaurant brand that's bringing in more revenue on a Saturday night than many of us make in a month. The Lowry's brand has evolved into so many successful verticals, it's hard to keep track. But today we're sitting down with Ryan Wilson, the great-grandson of the founder and the current CEO, to talk about how a dynamic business model created a generational company.
1: You know, I grew up in the restaurant business. I'm fourth generation in the company to manage our business, fourth generation in my family. And yet this was never anything that I was expected to do. There was never a path put forward. Frankly, I think there was some lacking architecture in how I came into the CEO role. But no, I took it upon myself and pursued the restaurant industry and pursued leadership in our restaurant company by myself and uh, did so. Through a couple of really important moments of starting in our kitchen, starting as a prep cook, understanding, uh, putting myself in a position to really understand how kitchens function. And in my perspective, how the kitchen functions is the heart of the organization uh, of a restaurant. And again, came up from a prep cook through being a line cook, left for five years, which I think was critically important to go get some outsider experience, and then came back at a point in which I was a great cook, but I wasn't the leader nor the business person that I wanted to become and uh, saw an opportunity to do so within our family organization. Well,
0: I mean, let's focus on the five years that you spent outside of the organization, because I'm sure it was impactful within all organizations. I'm sure this is especially true in familial organizations. There's this groupthink that occurs over time because everybody believes similarly. Everybody has a similar vision. But then you go to work for uh, restaurants like Quince and Gramercy Tavern. Did the folks there know who you were when you started there?
1: Sure. And so I spent just under a year at Quince and got that job, not because of my Lowry's heritage at all. I got the job because I had just come back from working in Italy. And I was a trained butcher and worked for a famous Italian butcher. And Chef Mike Tusk wanted my skill set and helped move his business forward and, and move his kitchen forward. And yet he certainly knew Lowry's was a big fan of Lowry's. And so I think that was a benefit, but that's not at all how I got the job. And having the opportunity to stage, just to clarify, I spent about a month through different days staging at Gramercy. So I technically wasn't part of the team, but I had a chance to meet Danny Meyer a couple times and meet Jeff Anthony on the side and just wanted to go spend some time ultimately in their kitchen and understand their culture. And I think that was both the pluses and minuses. One of the real takeaways I gained from those five years working outside of our organization. In all honesty, I saw some great examples of culture and I saw some really challenging, dangerous, difficult examples of culture. And you know I think you oftentimes learn a lot more from your challenges, your failures, your stumbles than you do from your wins. And yeah I took away a lot from the negative cultures I saw and, and what not to replicate when I was in more of a senior leadership position.
0: You must have a humble heart. And the reason I say that is because no different than a high performance athlete, like the role you sit in is a role that you've trained for most of your adult life, even to the degree that you went back to school to get your master's in 2017, like packing up your family and your kids to do so. What was the thought process going into it? What were the goals there?
1: Yeah, so I think you're absolutely right. I think to be a successful restaurateur, frankly, and certainly to be a restaurateur in a family organization, you have to be of that servant leadership mindset, understanding that you are moving forward of a greater enterprise with greater goals. And specifically to the decision that my wife and I made to go back to business school, it was actually her recommendation. And she always knew that I love my training and my development as a chef and restaurateur. There's something in my family and who I am. I like education. I like the, the fundamentals of education. I think it's an important piece of anyone's development. And so there was always kind of a missing piece of my experience, my story of going back to business school. And so we were at a point in the development of the business and my development as a leader back in 2016, late 2016. We look back on it in hindsight. My kids ideally would have been a little bit older. But at that point, my wife and I had a three month old and a, about a Fifteen month old, and we were kind of looking at where we were in life, and in, again we, in my professional development. And said, "Now's the time. Let's do this." And so it was over a six week period of time. We made the decision, and I studied for the GMAT and applied to a number of schools and got into a great program up at Stanford. And yeah, moved the family up back up to Northern California and into the dorms for a year. And that was, I think, a really important, impactful experience for me and for our company. But it was hard. And to be honest with you, it's not something my wife and I talk about a lot, because it was a challenging experience. I was still engaged in working for Lowry's probably 30% of my time and helping strategy and move operations forward. We were in the midst of a brand refresh for Lowry's The Prime Rib. And as the development chef and the next generation of leadership, I had to maintain a pretty close role in that project.
0: What did you learn about business through that experience that you didn't know before? Yeah, you know, one of the
1: the goals there, you mentioned it earlier, was to break out of the groupthink that often exists in a family business. And, you know, it's one of the wonderful things about our oldest restaurant is 100 years old this year. And so clearly we're doing something right. I learned to cook in other restaurants, but I didn't learn business and I didn't learn leadership. And I largely learned certainly business from Lowry's and from how we have made business decisions, and I saw there to be an opportunity to to break out of our approach to business and business decisions, but also to break out of the restaurant perspective. Right? You know, restaurants are not an easy business to make work, there are infinite variables to manage, and yet you have to stay really focused on the primary goal of delivering a great guest experience each and every guest, each and every day, each and every month, and it never changes. I knew that and still know that today, but I needed to back up and just understand some of the fundamentals. I needed to understand how other businesses approach their PL, what you know, other margins need to look like, how capital structures are created, et cetera. I didn't know any of that. You know, it was a we to this day are a family owned and operated restaurant company, wholly owned and operated. We don't have any outside capital. And to be able to understand all of that finance and the power of our balance sheet, the importance of our balance sheet, et cetera, and how we can move the business forward is critically important. You know, one of my real primary responsibilities as a CEO is to look at the health of the organization through a couple fundamental aspects of our business and be thinking strategically of where we're going. And I think to move into the role in such a turbulent time in the middle of the pandemic, it provided a great opportunity to re-strategize where we're going and to lean out the business and get more focused on our operations. But we've come out of the pandemic, knock on wood, with a tremendous amount of opportunity, but also with a very turbulent horizon in front of us. So, understanding those principles that I learned at Stanford and understanding the importance of the financial principles is critically important for us.
0: I think you highlight something that's a common misconception within our industry. And I was raised within the industry understanding that the restaurant industry is completely different from all other industries. Basic business principles don't exist in our industry. You hear it and you hear it time and time again, you know, the rules for everyone else don't apply to us. But when you study business, you find out that they do and that the most successful of us are actually abiding by traditional business principles.
1: Yeah. A a thousand percent. And it's one of the reasons why everyone knows that 80 percent of restaurants fail because people don't Focus on the fundamentals. You know the restaurant business is such a challenging business. The margins are lean. So if you aren't focused on managing your P and L and controlling your costs and you know, building revenues, all the fundamentals, you're never going to make it. And I think too often restaurants that get started, people that don't know the business, they see all of this activity and all this fun and all this money changing hands, but they don't understand how lean the actual margins are underneath the business. And today. In this inflationary time, and with our labor crises, yeah, you got to be very disciplined to the day to day, and really be looking at it almost on a daily basis. Because if you let it go for too long, you let some poorly managed labor go for a week, two weeks, a month, it's going to be very difficult to recoup those losses. So, yeah.
0: Let's talk about retention. So, you have servers, and I'm sure cooks as well, but like servers that have been with you for decades.
1: Certainly. We actually just yesterday, and this is kind of a sad moment, we just celebrated a coworker here at the Five Crowns who passed away about six weeks ago. Really quick cancer fight she had, and it was really tragic. But she had been with us for 21 years here at Five Crowns. And with her celebration of life brought out a number of retired coworkers and a number of active coworkers that their tenure was spectacular. And I was talking to one gentleman, Tommy Martin, who's an institution here in Corona Del Mar, my grandfather hired him, I believe in 1971, and he retired from the business in the middle of the pandemic, but he made it over 50 years with our company. And there's another gentleman who was a bartender for us for 40 years. And his wife actually still is active here at Five Crowns and has been with us for 25 years. And you start thinking about that tenure and why people wanted to come back to this job and this career and this location time after time, year after year. There's a whole host of things. I think we've done a great job of finding people of hospitality. That this is something that's motivating to them every day, whether that's how they care for their kids and their loved ones and their neighbors, et cetera, that they want to be providing a great experience and be giving of themselves to others in appropriate moments. But also it's about the culture. It's about the fact that we do spend a lot of time thinking about a great, consistent, wonderful place to work. The restaurant industry and particularly the heart of house, as we call it, the kitchen, it's a really difficult environment to be in physically. It's hot, it's sweaty, you're on your feet all day long, it's weekends, it's holidays. And yet people love it because it does provide a lot. It provides a lot of flexibility elsewhere in their lives. And we're mindful of that. And I think in this day and age and in the cost of living in all the markets that we operate, we need to be certainly offering a great wage, but it's I think it's all those other intangibles that people want to come into work. They want to surround themselves with other great people. They want to all be pulling in the direction of improving that guest experience for the restaurant and for themselves as people of hospitality. And I think it's today in this labor crisis, we're seeing crazy things for retention. We're seeing crazy bonus structures. We're seeing a bunch of, particularly I'm concerned with, relatively speaking, new money coming into the industry. They're throwing a lot of dollars at people and at different positions. And that's really short term. That's not going to last. And you look at the quality of the culture and what that experience looks like. and feels like for people coming in day to day, and it's not a holistic approach to how you build a team and how you retain a team. So we are continuing to really double down on the fact that all of our restaurants are just fundamentally a great place to work and that we take care of people in compensation and otherwise, and their benefits are appropriate in market and competitive, but also We spend a lot of time talking about hospitality in the face of challenging guests, and we're always going to be supporting our team in front of challenging guests. And its I don't think the answer is the shiny object of a bunch of additional insurance coverage or a one-time signing bonus or those things. That's not going to last. It's really going to be about focusing on the coworker and focusing on what it means and looks and feels like to come in day after day. And I want that to be a great, consistent experience for our coworkers.
0: And is there a way to keep that engagement level high over years, over decades? I mean, you've got to think, being a server, being a bartender, it's certainly repetitive, right? Yes. And so how is someone passionate about doing literally the same thing every day for different people?
1: There's that repetition and that muscle memory. But beneath that also, I think people in the restaurant industry, they fundamentally want the challenge. And there's something so unique about our industry the feedback loop, I don't know another business has a tighter feedback loop. That me coming out of the kitchen, if I overcook something, if I overseason something, I know pretty much immediately. If a server doesn't give a great guest experience, they're gonna know by the end of the meal with a bad tip, right? And so those moments of measurement are so tight and so close into our business that I think that that fundamentally builds a challenge in everyone's mind and it's about management at regular pre-shifts of sharing the feedback and sharing the wins and the failures and doing so in a collaborative, constructive manner that people learn from when, yeah, I didn't, I wasn't approaching that table with a smile. And yeah, that piece of fish was a little over or whatever it was. And being able to do so and admit those things and have some vulnerability in a constructive environment builds that challenging experience. And while there is that repetition and okay, tonight's a Monday and I'm going to be pulling beers or whatever, I'm making another burger. But the person that's in the right position and is appropriately motivated and led by their team, there's challenge beneath that. There's always a better, a tighter way to do it. There's always a more consistent way to, you know, in the kitchen to engineer your mise en place, to build out your station so you're more efficient. It's finding those little challenges and those little moments in our business and in our profession to just make yourself better. And that's something we talk about a lot. Despite the fact we have a hundred-year-old restaurant and an 80-plus-year-old restaurant in Las Vegas is 25 years old this year. And, and we've been so focusing on celebrating a hundred years up at the Tamashan that initially when we were in our planning phases for the year, we forgot that Vegas was 25 years old. And yet so many businesses out there would be just blowing the doors off, it of a 25 year anniversary. Oh, yeah. And it was, that team is doing a great job. I don't want to say that we forgot them, but we missed that milestone because we're focused on so many others. And I don't want anyone in both our guests or in our managers or line level coworkers ever to think that because we've been around so long, we just rest on our laurels and we're not focused daily on how to make improvements. That can be fatal. If you're just, yeah, we lock that in. We're going to be fine. We've been doing this forever. Don't need to be changing. It's about each and every day be finding new opportunities for making subtle, small changes and improvements. I know it's one of the takeaways or one of the real guiding principles, I should say, of let us entertain you out of Chicago and Rich Melman making those subtle changes every single day is something we talk about with management teams regularly. I think it's also important for a senior leader to work with a general manager and to be a really disciplined leader and communicator of establishing goals, but letting that general manager and that team go find the in-betweens of how to get there and to be able to have some moments of ownership mentality and that empowerment to go and achieve those goals on their own. So I think that's important and particularly in this day and age. We were talking about retention earlier, but I think also great people in our industry want to have an opportunity to execute their own plan and their own vision, whether it's in a whiskey program we're working on here at Five Crowns, or it's being able to move the menu forward. I'm working with our corporate development chef, on menu positioning and not just thinking about cooking dishes, but big picture, really understanding how this menu works within our brand, but also how it works within our competitive set. And it's multifaceted and very emotional, but that skill set, I think, is creating an idea of retention because they want to be part of something bigger than just cooking a dish. You know, they want to be part of something that's going to be around for generations. And we've got that precedent. We've shown that we've been able to do that. And I think that's meaningful for people.
0: Prior to the pandemic, I could barely use my iPhone. I'm a restaurateur, not a tech guru. But over the last two years, we've seen that tech can play a vital role in helping us make more money and save money. And that tech can show up at some pretty unlikely places, like your kitchen sink. Dawn Professional is a detergent and degreaser that can help reduce your labor expense and your overhead on cleaning supplies through leveraging the latest technological innovation in cleaning products. Dawn Professional Multi-Service Heavy Duty Degreaser is specifically formulated to cut grease two times faster versus the leading food service degreasers. While Dawn Professional Manual Pot and Pan Dish Detergent cleans 58% more pots and pans per sink, reducing sink changeover versus the leading competitor's professional dish Soap. Save time and money by upgrading to Dawn Professional Manual Pot and Pan Dish Detergent and Dawn Professional Multi-Service Heavy Duty Degreaser from P&G Professional. There's this massive difference between leadership and management. And when you assume a leadership role, it's because you have a destination in mind. And so when you took over as the CEO of Lowry's, what was your vision for the future of the company and how did it differ from the
1: existing trajectory? It's a great question. And my vision, you made the comment that it's some sort of destination And I don't think of that destination as being an endpoint, though. I think of that destination as being a to get a little bit into the metaphor, a little bit more of just a broader horizon. It definitely touches on what we talked about earlier of a company of ingenuity and real creativity. And that's where I want to get back to. I want to get back to people perceiving Lowry's Lowry's restaurants to be about fantastic dining, fantastic hospitality, whether that's a burger or a three star fine dining meal. And it's really changing that people, that perception of, okay, I only know Lowry's for prime rib into, oh, Lowry's, whatever they do, I want to go try it because it's phenomenal. And that would satisfy my desire of new concept creation. And that's a diversity of different businesses. And again, back to the idea of diversification, I think that's strategically critical in this day and age and to do so in a very managed way if not conservative way, to maintain our family business and the strength of our balance sheet in the best interest of shareholders. But also, I think there's just a lot of opportunity out there and a lot of different ways to deliver a better guest experience, whether that's actually in the guest contact, in concepts that are interacting with guests, but also potentially moving into more kind of distribution and production and all up and down the food and beverage space. I think there's opportunity to play around it. I also think, you know, it's a family business and my uncle was in a position of leadership for 30 years and it was a different time. And today, coming out of the pandemic, even going into the pandemic, right, I mean, I think we saw people using restaurants differently and understanding a price point to a restaurant very differently. And I think coming out of the pandemic, people fundamentally have a different way of feeding themselves and nourishing themselves. And for us right now, it's a little bit of a disconnect for me as a chef. But I'm talking a lot more about the service side of our business. And again, whether that's casual or we popped up takeout biz- or drive-through businesses through the pandemic, and there still is a great service touch there. So I'm really focusing our organization on, on phenomenal service and again, going above and beyond and that idea of anticipating what the guests needs are before they even know it and certainly be delicious food beneath it. But I'm really pushing our organization to be really top-notch on all points of service. And it's all points of, of guest contact. So that's marketing. That's when they pick up the phone, and certainly when they come into our restaurants. So
0: it certainly opens up a conversation, though, about expectations. I mean, as restaurateurs, we're all worried about meeting or exceeding the expectations of our customers. And for some brands, it's about innovation. These guys are always doing something cool and different. And Lowry's and all of the brands within it they've been known for consistency, right? Like people come for the prime rib, for the salad, for the spoon bread, for that. Yeah, yeah, the Yorkshire pudding. Like that's what people come for. And so I totally understand and appreciate and empathize with wanting to become more and progressive in evolving the concept. But how do you reconcile between the two when people walk in and it's different?
1: Certainly. And this is something I have learned. Frankly, I've learned the hard way, and I always reflect on my experience being the executive chef here at the Five Grounds in Newport Beach, in Corona Del And we recognized from a business perspective that we had to be bringing in a new guest. Our legacy guest was getting older; their discretionary mm-hmm. income was tightening up, and we need to be able to go find a new guest. And so we did a bunch of work on repositioning the brand, the concept, and a big renovation. I mean, I was the chef at the time and executed a. Pretty dramatically different menu. And the miss I made as a young chef at that point, I was, this was 10 years ago, is that I didn't maintain some of that consistency for guests. And so when people came in with the expectation of getting their birthday trifle or their anniversary strawberry trifle, and I took that away and replaced it with a personalized card celebrating their special occasion, I hit an emotional thread at that point in everyone in their lives that was certainly not expected, certainly not intended, but that was a miss for sure. And so I think what we've learned is to be able to move a brand and an experience forward that people have generations worth of expectation. And even today, those expectations, I think, are so much more powerful because people want continuity in their lives. So much has been disrupted out there in their lives that they want to come in and just get that plate of prime rib with spinach to be the same. So what we do is we keep it the same and we then add on some other things for guests to experience and encourage them to experience our state program up at Lowry's in Beverly Hills and in Las Vegas. And that gives someone a way to, Hey, you know what? I'm going to try something different and they're doing it on their own rather than it being forced upon them. And so, yes, we're talking about a bigger menu specifically in this sort of tactic, but I think that's the important way to move these legacy brands forward and to be able to continue to, recognize and nurture that expectation, but by giving people the perception that they get so much more. And so it's their choice to try something different. And when they do try it, we're going to execute it incredibly well and be able to win them over that way. But the other way around, particularly in a business like ours that does have so much emotional content to it, it's the wrong way to move a guest experience forward ultimately, and it's you're kind of setting yourself up for failure, frankly. And that was a tough learning I had a couple of times yeah, early on in my chef career, despite the fact the food was amazing and I was going to farmer's markets and I was just super seasonal. And all, I mean, I knew all the fishermen, I was going full bore and that's not what people wanted ultimately. So they didn't want their trifle taken away for, certainly for a personalized card, but also they wanted that chicken dish to be the same way as opposed to the new way I wanted to execute it. So I have to you have to play that game of giving them the option and giving them the opt-in rather than forcing it upon them. Does that make sense? It does. It does. Let's
0: continue on with your path to leadership. How has mentorship played a role in your evolution as a leader?
1: I think mentorship is critically important. It's been a challenge for me because you're never going to find that mentor who's been in the same position as you, right? And particularly when you're talking about a fourth generation legacy restaurant company, there aren't many of us out there. And so it ends up being a big piece of my time and pursued, and finding that network and finding those mentors that want to take the time. And when you do find them, it's an incredibly rewarding experience to be able to learn from other restaurateurs and other business people. Right now, we're in the midst of... My family's in the midst of some work on establishing shareholder goals and ownership goals and looking at our board structure and all sorts of stuff. And we're working with some family business consultants. And I've been on different panels and really pursued those networks. And it's For people out there that are listening, I think it's something you have to really pursue on your own. Mentors aren't going to find you. You need to go out there and pursue them and develop those relationships and to be look again from a diversity of perspectives. I also am really hungry for a critical mentor. I want people that can give me honest feedback and do so in a constructive manner. But I think it's a byproduct of coming out of kitchens. I learn more from my failures and I learn more from someone telling me, yeah, you should have thought about it this way or should have done it a little bit differently than just saying, fantastic work here. So, I think it's critically important to get out there, get out of your comfort zone, find people that are going to give you the time, but give you the time in a way that's going to be critical and yet supportive and constructive, but that are going to give it to you straight. And for me, as a relatively speaking young leader, I need to go out there and find more experienced leaders that are generally speaking have spent more time in our industry that have some gray hairs and have got some wisdom and that can, in a gracious manner, be in a position in their lives that want to give back. We're very fortunate to have a couple of outside directors on our board that have been very successful restaurateurs and one of whom has personally and professionally involvement with family businesses. And that's a really important piece for us as well because family businesses do operate a little differently and expectations, incentives, motivations, those are all a little different when you talk about a family dynamic. You know, I think the family component, too, is I don't want to say it's common out there in the restaurant business, but there are a lot of instances of of a restaurant started by first generation quickly becoming a family enterprise because there are so many points to be managed and so many opportunities. And it just seems like that hospitality component and the demands on any leader's personal lives, it draws in more family participation. So anyone out there looking at first generation to second reach out to some of the family business networks out there and gain some outside perspective and some networking because it's a really supportive environment. And I've gained a lot from those networks.
0: It just seems like a really messy layer, it being a family business. (laughs) Well, and the reason I bring it up is, you know, you and I are basically the same age. So I would agree we are like young-ish. But like you're in your early 40s, like taking over a family business that I'm sure many of your family members rely on financially, and you're taking it over kind of in the meat of a global pandemic that has obliterated the industry. And I can totally appreciate the metaphors like winners are the quarterbacks that want the ball in their hands with a second left on the clock at the one yard line. And I mean, all of that sounds great in the abstract, but I mean, you took over as a young man at a really difficult time. And I know everybody's tired of talking about the pandemic, but as you look back and you look forward, how has it changed you as a leader? It's a
1: great question, and I wish we were at a point of saying, okay, this was what happened and we can do the full forensics, but it's not over. And everyone wants to say the pandemic is over, but we still don't know what's around the corner. And while I came into the leadership position, the CEO position in August of 2020, I had been in a senior role for many, many years. And I think that was partly the grooming of my grandfather in particular, but it was also just kind of who I am as an individual and as a leader. And so it was not, I think, the full magnitude and the impact continues to humble me. But the different levers outside of, strictly speaking, our PPP management and employer retention tax credits and a bunch of that finance stuff. I had some idea of what we needed to do, I think, particularly based on the crisis of the pandemic and how we were all as an industry just focused on any sort of revenue opportunity to keep our business and our teams engaged and alive. And that scrappy approach is very much who I am as an operator, right? And as a restaurateur and be thinking about those ideas and how do we get it going faster and get it launched now. And certainly, I think at times in our past, we have erred on the side of perfection in spite of the good and let's get this product launched, shipped, coming from my Stanford background, let's get the product shipped and let's continue to iterate once we get it out there to market. It doesn't need to be perfect, but let's get the guests engaged and start moving it forward. And so, yeah, today is we have more stability beneath us and our restaurants are back up and running and our teams are engaged. That passion and drive isn't any different. And it's now figuring out how to manage available resources to these new ideas and to just try stuff, right? I think it's one of the benefits of coming out of the pandemic, we were forced not just to try it, but we had to try it and execute it and make it better. And I don't want to ever lose that for our organization and to be confident that when you do launch something, it's got to be good, if not great, but it doesn't have to be perfect. And let's let the guests participate and move something forward. Let's get to that minimum viable product that's going to get us out of the gate, but we're not done. So that's a component of our culture moving forward that... I know our teams are really energized by and they've got a hand in and that's a win from the pandemic that I don't want to ever lose. Looking back on particularly those. So I came into the role in August of 2020, that initial six months that were particularly challenging because we saw that second wave and we closed a bunch of restaurants over the holidays again. And one of the opportunities here, we saw that December of 2020, we saw that we were going to have to be closing Lowry's the Prime Rate. And our holiday business makes our year throughout the company. And so we saw just what was happening with case rates up in L.A. County. We knew that the Tamashander and Lowry's and Beverly Hills were going to close. And so I proposed and worked through the idea of Lowry's at the beach. We did a pop-up down here in the parking lot at the Five Crowns. And we moved a bunch of our coworkers to come and work down here. And we popped up Lowry's, the prime rib. It was amazing. We were booked. It was going to be a big revenue opportunity and people were loving it and celebrating with us and fantastic. I can have my holiday experience. And we operated for four days and we were closed out. And that was a really challenging moment. We had put a bunch of resource out. We had rented tents and all sorts of gear and and we had four days of revenue and we were closed. And yet, despite the fact that I was, you know, really frustrated by that, our teams were, I think, so motivated and energized by the fact that this legacy company that hadn't moved a bunch and done a lot of this sort of work in 30 years did it. We popped up a new restaurant in a parking lot in about two weeks. And our teams were so excited about that despite the health concerns and all of the exhaustion we were experiencing even at that point. So that was an exciting and challenging moment. And it was a real to me, it was a great example of change in leadership and the change in execution that I am energized by moving forward. This
0: is an industry podcast. And at the end of every episode, I like to give the guests an opportunity to speak directly to the audience. Do you have any advice or words of encouragement you'd like to offer?
1: Yeah, focus on the fundamentals, first and foremost. I think there are too many opportunities out there to forget that it's really about delicious food delivered with a smile and a great, clean environment. I think there's so many quick rushes to revenue and people are forgetting just some of the basics. I also think that with this current labor crisis, and it's particularly powerful here in Southern California, I think that we have to take the long road. It's going to be a while before we get back to a normal labor market and staffing ability. But I think the short-term fixes are going to be really dangerous for our industry. And I caution other operators to go out there and, and you know play that short-term game. I think it's about focusing on yeah, delivering a great place for people to work, consistency in that place of work. And some of those fundamentals are what we need to continue to be solidifying. So it's not a business that's going to be a get-rich-quick whatsoever. And I believe in making real commitments to a community and to people. That means playing the long game.
0: That's Ryan Wilson. For more on Lowry's, visit Lowry'sOnline.com. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Copel. You've been listening to Full Comp.